Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw! You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? You know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Last couple of days in here, beautiful days. Today, not so much. It's a good day to kind of be stuck in a windowless room and talk football and that's what we're going to do with you today you can join us by phone if you'd like at 4 ESPN 44 over the course of the show we'll be here until 3 o'clock this afternoon 315-437-7644 315-437-7644 were you at the Syracuse football game the 62-10 to win on Saturday you planning to come to the Florida State game uh, which uh, figures to be closer than most uh, this coming Saturday Let's hear what you thought about the quad experience, about any of that, about whether you came, you didn't come, and uh, those types of things. All fair game today. Phone lines are open throughout the show. We'll talk with Tom Hart of uh, ESPN. He's a SEC network regular calling games there. He had the Kentucky win at Florida, which stopped a 31-year losing streak by Kentucky to Florida. It's astonishing to lose that many in a row in a conference series. And uh, we'll check in on that. He also has... The Packers and I'm sorry, the Patriots and Jaguars, which is a big game this coming week for uh, ESPN Radio, uh, an eventful opening week in NFL action, and uh, we'll get into all of that in due time on the show. Brought to you by Marriott Syracuse Downtown again three one five four three seven seven six four four. The talk today, of course, around the sports world is the dominance of Aaron Aaron Rodgers, who had a simply superb finish and that's before you even get uh, to the fact that he was injured, appeared to be out of the game Packers were down 20-3 to it was over at halftime in fact there was the talk on the game broadcaster for anybody watching if the Bears score one more Bears were up 17 to nothing. if the Bears scored one more to make it 24 nothing, then you wouldn't bother bringing back Rodgers even if he was healthy but by now you know he did come back. He threw three fourth-quarter touchdowns, including this incredible one. Needed some help on the other end from Randall Cobb. Showing pressure. They're going to bring five. Rodgers with time. Pocket holds. Looking. Firing. Caught. Cobb at the 40. Up the middle of the midfield. Cobb to the 40. It's a foot race to the 30. Veers right to the 25. To the 20. To the 10. Cuts left to the 5. He'll dance in for the touchdown. And the pack have come all the way back. 75 yards. Green Bay has tied it up with 2.13 to go. And the extra point can give Green Bay the lead. As heard here on uh, ESPN's, or Westwood One, I guess in their case, uh, Sunday Night Football. And you can catch all those Sunday night games here on uh, ESPN Radio. A couple of things came out of that. Certainly it was... Just incredible to watch Rodgers come back. He had left on a cart with an apparent knee injury that they're examining further today, but uh, damage not significant enough to keep him out altogether. He had a great quote they played uh, this morning on the uh, Golik and Wingo show just about how it was sort of the, the definition of 
being a professional athlete and not letting down your teammate to come back on the field. So that was awesome. Rodgers, to begin with, when healthy, is maybe the best player in the NFL, certainly one of them and among the most fun to watch. There had to be some help on around him from his teammates. In this case, Randall Cobb, an incredible run after catch. Uh, Kevin Kugler did a nice job to describe that he came left to right across the field, all the way to the right sideline, reversed back into the, the middle of the field and wouldn't be denied in getting to the end zone, which makes you think a little bit of the Brett Favre game where he's playing after the death of his father and not only was he on point but his receivers caught everything he threw no matter where it was so to uh, write this script for Rodgers took some teamwork but I'm going to say to you that I think this performance from Rodgers this is going to be the modern day Willis Reed we need to update that reference probably that was from 1970s NBA finals if I asked you how many points did Willis Reed score in that game what would you say uh, 24. 24. You got part right. He had four. <laughs> okay. So he just wobbled out, right? basically. So Willis Reed, this is uh, May 8th, 1970, NBA Finals. And I'm not taking it away from it. I'm, I can't put it in context. I'm not a Knicks fan. I wasn't born in 1970. I'm sure it was a great thing, impactful. It's lived on all this time for a legacy. Oh, this is a Willis Reed moment. Willis Reed was the MVP of the season. That year is the MVP of the All-Star Game. Great player. Got injured in Game 5. Didn't play in Game 6. Comes back in Game 7, which the Knicks won uh, fairly handily. And you want to give you know, the support for Reed. They won by 14 points. Willis Reed had 4 points. He played 27 minutes in the game. Was 2 of 5 shooting. They won the game because Clyde Frazier had 36 points and 19 assists. The issue I have with this one is we don't know how hurt he was. That's true, but he wasn't faking it. But you don't you, you don't know. Like they put him on the cart and you got to put Aaron Rodgers. He walked off the field. I would say own. of people that are capable to play it up a little bit, Aaron Rodgers would be on that list. I think he's a wise ass. I think he's super smart. I think he's Hollywood. I think he's a, a lot of things. I'm not here to say that he embellished it. I'm saying of players that I think are capable or shrewd enough to do it, he would be on the list. But he's not leaving the game on a cart, all that, just to set up this drama. I just think the guy's incredibly talented, has uh, unbelievable intangibles, and for him, very few put in that same situation would win the game the way he did. And you look at the other factors. A, essentially, a rookie quarterback uh, coming back on him. Uh, all that was done by... Uh, Khalil Mack in the first half, he looked like a beast, and that was kind of undone. They dropped an interception, the uh, Bears did, that would have sealed the deal. Lots of little breaks in Rodgers' favor, but the guy is an absolute beast. But anyway, Willis Reed, you had a good run. You know, 50 years of... There's got to be a better one than than the opening night game against the Bears. Well, okay, but uh, yeah, but uh, I... Would love to have uh, been there at Lambeau last night. What an atmosphere that had to have been. You get the fans are ready to go and tuned up for the opener anyway to begin with. But then for the home team to win against their rival, longtime rival, 100 years of football and and playing one another, uh, that was a very cool setting and a nice way to mark the first Sunday of the NFL season. Two games tonight, Monday Night Football. 
including our friend uh, Beth Mowens on the call of one of them, as she has been uh, the last uh, couple of years in the doubleheader. Kind of out of ESPN the way they're doing it, where Beth is not doing the Raiders game, is my understanding, because she's doing the Jets and Lions. Beth does the Raiders preseason games. That means they're putting the other crew on the Raiders game, which is kind of neat because John Gruden is there. Gruden had previously been the Monday Night Football uh, analyst, a a spot that Jason Witten is uh, taking now. So that should be a good game, uh, Raiders and Rams. But it's so late. So here's your new Monday Night Football broadcast team. Joe Tessitore, Jason Witten, Booger McFarlane, etc. And uh, with Lisa Salters, who stays on that crew. And that one doesn't start until 1020 when a lot of people will be snoozing. Jets and uh, Lions get their seasons going. VVS product, uh, Matt Patricia, his first game as a NFL head coach, starts tonight at uh, 710 Eastern Time. Catch all the action right here, 630 pregame. Looking forward to that. Uh, enjoy listening to the games on uh, on Westwood One and uh, picking them up here on uh, 97.7. We've got some of that uh, radio play-by-play that tells the story of some of the things that happened over the uh, course of Sunday the Bills, did their season even start? I don't know. That we, no sense uh, kicking a dead horse while it's down and writhing in pain, but they were completely outclassed uh, by the Ravens in every way. I think the Ravens uh, are that good, though. Ravens right? are good. Bills are going to have a tough go offensively this year, and that felt like another preseason game in the fourth quarter because both teams were like, yeah, we'll put our other quarterback in there and, and go from here. Very rarely do you see blowouts of that magnitude uh, in the NFL. And uh, the Bills got absolutely shredded. And uh, so Josh Allen did get in there and, and get a little run. But uh, at that point, we, we see it here. Tommy DeVito has not really been in position to succeed as the backup for Syracuse. Uh, I think in this Western Michigan game, it's a little bit more on him. In the Wagner game, which is a complete blowout, Syracuse has better players at every position at all times in the game. But DeVito wasn't especially effective, and it's not all his fault. He's in there with the third-string center, snapping the ball over his head. What are you going to do? And rare is the situation where the backup quarterback is inserted and everything else operates at the same level or higher than it does uh, with the starting quarterback. Uh, you know, you can list off some of those examples, but uh, for the the Bills, getting their backup in, it was just – a way to uh, get him acclimated to uh, NFL football. And so next time he's out there will not be the first time. And obviously it's a year where it looks like the Bills are going to take a step back and uh, take some lumps over the course of the season. The Giants were in a close one with the Jaguars, a very good Doug Marone-led Jacksonville Jaguar team. Early interception. Eli Manning is going to have the career record for tipped balls intercepted. I don't know anybody that has more balls that are dropped into the opponent's hands or could have been caught, should have been caught, deflected and are picked off. There was one of those early in the game. Odell Beckham did have a good game in a losing effort, but uh, the Giants just not enough. And in their last chance to uh, maybe have a final possession down five and come back in the last uh, minute or so, this happened. Kalen Clay back deep to receive this punt from rookie Logan Cook. Takes a head-high snap and boots it. Toppling kick. Clay fields it at the 20. He muffs it. It's loose on the ground, and the Jaguars recover it at the Giants' 21. Donald Payne scooped it up 
as Kalen Clay, who has signed off waivers from Buffalo just this week, muffs the punt. And the Jaguars are going to win it here at MetLife Stadium. So, punt returner that wasn't in camp uh, with the Giants' new acquisition when that late flurry of cuts at the end of training camp and some of the roster shuffling around the league. And uh, the Giants kick away any chance to have a last-ditch effort against uh, the Jags. Jacksonville plays New England at home this week. So, for uh, Doug Marone, a place where he has you know kind of ties as a New York guy and the first one is at MetLife to uh, beat the Giants there comes home and certainly he has a great deal of respect for uh, Bill Belichick and that crew Jaguars look to go 2-0 and taking on uh, Tom Brady and company this Sunday afternoon the other oddity of Sunday is the Browns they didn't lose as they did all their games a year ago 0-16 Hugh Jackson's career record now 131-1 in his time with the Browns, this was a Browns-Steelers game, so that was your team, Polly. Yeah, Browns off to their best start since 2004. I heard that nugget from uh, sportscaster Joe Salzone earlier today. <laughs> that, that was a nice turn of a phrase by Joe. He didn't really get a lot of the other phrases right. Mispronouncing names of first-round draft picks by the Giants and things like that. But he was uh, in the ballpark and also in the ballpark yesterday, Jim Donovan, the voice of the Cleveland Browns. And Gonzalez is ready. Hewlett will snap. Snap is back. Ball down. Kick on the way. It got blocked. The Steelers blocked the kick. And it never had a prayer. Both teams go uh, (laughs) overtime. And uh, obviously, by definition, block kicks don't have uh, much of a prayer because they don't get anywhere. And uh, that's how it went down for the Browns. But it seems fitting. You got to tie before you can win. And everybody has them picked to win at least a few games this year. Some saying maybe as many as uh, seven, eight, or nine, but uh, unable to take advantage of the Steelers without Le'Veon Bell in a home game to begin the season. And the Browns are to win any games this year. It's not in week one. That one went the new 10-minute overtime, uh, each team with the field goal misses, and that's all she wrote. It was very Browns. You get six turnovers, you got to win a football game. You know, yeah, jeez. But uh, as a Steelers fan, not that worried. <laughs> no. Steelers have quality personnel. They'll be all right. Uh, if you'd like to join us, you can. We'll get into the uh, Syracuse football game from Saturday in just a bit. No need to uh, rehash a ton about the win over Wagner. That one went about as expected and really about as well as it could have. Uh, not a ton to uh, nitpick or clean up. We'd love to know what your fan experience was. If you'd like to chime in. About that at four two four or four uh, three seven. I'm sorry, four three seven seven six four four four. ESPN forty four. If you'd like to uh, chime in, you're looking forward to the Orange in Florida State. We can hit you on the uh, kickoff time for the Connecticut game, which just uh, came out today. We'll talk a little uh, college and pro football with Tom Hart of ESPN a bit later in the show as well. Dino Babers on the other side. We return in the booth in just a moment on ESPN Radio Syracuse. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. I just thought we did a fantastic job of playing four quarters of football. Playing four quarters of football with three different teams, offense, defense, and special teams. I can't tell you how proud I am of the special teams two games deep into this season. If we can, and it's hard, it's difficult. Everybody does a great job on those. But if we can continue to get help like that from our special teams, it could be a really, really special well, it could be, and the special teams is one of those things that might swing your season from good to very good, and I think that's what Dino Babers was alluding to. Still a long way off. 
But uh, that was one of the areas in which the Orange had a clear advantage in the game on Saturday. Andre Schmidt has been a find, somebody we didn't really even consider as being the regular place kicker this year. That was uh, Sterling Hoffrichter going uh, through training camp, but uh, kind of a change in the last week or so prior to the start of the season. Schmidt, the redshirt freshman, has been awesome. He has made four field goals and four tries. He has drilled every extra point out of 15 so far. Hoffrichter then has been able to focus on punting. There weren't any notable punts, really, in terms of game strategy in the game against Wagner, which was a blowout. But, man, he crushed one of them in there to give you an idea of what he's capable of. And uh, that will come into play where field position is a bit more impactful uh, and meaningful in future games. The return game was all right. That's really not a huge part of college football right now with uh, the idea of the automatic fair catch. But uh, Antoine Cordy had a decent return on kind of a broken play, and Sean Riley had a return. Riley blocked the punt that was uh, fielded right at the goal line and stepped in by the freshman Trill Williams. Orange with the uh, two interceptions early from Andre Sisco, the five touchdown passes to five different players, two touchdown runs by Dante Strickland. Uh, So he's got uh, four now touchdowns on the season. That's as many as he had last year. Those are the things that are kind of piling up for this uh, Syracuse team so far. You're supposed to win your first two in their Western Michigan and Wagner, and uh, that has been the case. And now you take on a Florida State team that's had a bit of a shaky start this year under new head coach Willie Taggart. Tough one to begin with, a conference opener against Virginia Tech, and they were buried in that game and then uh, needed some plays late in the game on Saturday against Samford, a game that was delayed by weather, and then they pull it out uh, late in the fourth quarter. So they're 1-1 one one coming in as uh, very modest favorites against the Orange on Saturday with a noon kickoff. I was just trying to find some information on Andre Schmidt, the uh, kicker, and uh, not an easy name to sp- spell. No, <laughs> we got a little contest to try to spell his name. S-Z-M-Y-T. So hopefully you can buy a vowel somewhere along the line here. Doesn't Y play the vowel role? Y is a vowel. That's why they say A-E-I-O-U and sometimes Y. Well, this is one of those times. Andre Schmidt can uh, tell us about that. For those of you uh, into kicker information, he was a... uh, not offered any scholarships anywhere. He did get some uh, preferred walk-on yeah, He was going to go looks. to Louisville, I guess, as a preferred walk-on when yeah. uh, Dave Bowler was there. Bowler came here. He followed him here as kind of a player personnel guy. Then Bowler must like Syracuse kickers. He goes to that new pro venture in San, Di- uh, San Diego, and he signs Cole Murphy, who was Syracuse's kicker the last couple of years. So it was, uh, he's not, was not a highly recruited kicker. No, but he won the coaches over – Late in training camp, by flourishing in uh, some of these drills they put him through, you know, and it's not just, I think everybody's seen the basic, like, you know, the team's going to stand around and yell at you, or you might have something riding on it. Like, if you miss this, everybody runs. If you make it, you get the day off, and yada, yada. They did that. They kind of, you know, throw pads and water and stuff at him. And uh, Andre Schmidt has come through, and uh, they hit a 50 yard field goal at the end of the uh, first half to kind of stretch. His uh, length a little bit. So if you're wondering, as I think I wondered aloud on Saturday, is it uh, necessary to be kicking, taking timeouts to get the ball back, to kick field goals, to go up 100 against uh, Wagner? And that that's part of the thought process behind it. It gives an experience to uh, Schmidt and tests in game-like conditions his range and uh, accuracy on a kick like that for 
uh, future reference uh, should that become meaningful down the stretch. If you'd like to chime in on the game, you can do it at 4 ESPN 44. That's 315-437-7644. On Mondays, the kickoff time for the game that's 12 days ahead or two weeks from the prior Saturday comes out. So that, in this case, is Connecticut. That will be a 4 o'clock kickoff, kind of a funky time. The uh, 3.30 is right in the, the middle of the day, 4 o'clock, uh, obviously a half hour later than that. And uh, that's when the UConn game will start. So you can do your thing during the day and the youth sports and all of that and then get into your tailgate, 4 o'clock kick, and uh, you're out in time for a late dinner on Saturday the 22nd. That'll wrap up this three-game dome stand to begin the year. All reports from uh, the things we talked about last week, the initiatives on the quad and all of that sounded great. I went through so early that it's uh, hard to judge. Just kind of saw the uh, nacho bar was fantastic. Uh, They had anything you might want to put on a nacho. Uh, out there, a corn dog. I think I'll sample that maybe in one of these coming weeks on the quad. Had a nice band going, and then the marching band obviously comes through later, the pregame show and all of that, but I was back inside by the time our uh, pregame show started and relying on the reports of uh, Brian and you, Polly, and it uh, sounded like a good vibe out there on the quad, so we hope that continues to get repeated, especially in this case when you're playing Wagner, you're not going to get any bump from the visiting fans. When Florida State comes in, and there's Florida State fans here, next Saturday, or Connecticut fans, North Carolina, NC State fans down the road, then it's even more festive uh, when you you mix it up with the visitors a little bit. It was the best uh, quad experience I have uh, seen in multiple years, and it was against Wagner. So I'm hoping it can only get better. So, Well, you like to see those things succeed. It's not like they haven't been thought of before, or in some cases even some of these things have been tried before. But it's one of these, got to all get on the same page. You want football to be a thing here. You want it to be successful. You want game day to be awesome. You want your tailgate to be better. It's, there's a lot of pitching in. And I think what John Wildhack is trying to say is, look, we've heard you. We're making efforts to improve this, that, and the other. And from a fan perspective, the way you can do it is you know, support the good stuff. Let people know you enjoyed it. Come and do it again. Bring a friend. And if it's not working, you're not spending your ticket dollar here, or you feel like you're underserved in some way, speak up about it. Uh, you might you might ring the bell enough to, to get some change, so, or at least you'll get an explanation for why it isn't. You know, I think there's a, a, a lot of people who, you know, will pop off and, and what's the reason for this or that that, that uh, rankles them or upsets them. Well, sometimes there's a fully reasonable explanation uh you know, we talked about the air conditioning or whatever. That's that's always been a sore subject here. Well, the reason it doesn't exist is because of the way the roof is put up and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's going to go away, and over time, things are, are being addressed here. So uh, headed in the right direction in, uh, in that department and uh, not a great opening crowd, but some aspects of it were excellent. Student section was jammed at the start of the game, and the only reason it wasn't jammed all the way through is the game was a blowout. Well, that's fine. So... That's what you need to see. I uh, heard a caller on uh, the show with Stephen Julian earlier talking about how he felt it was the best season ticket holder turnout. I'm not necessarily sure about that, I guess. I mean, if you look at where the, the better seats are and the chair back seats and, and all of that, um, I'm not disputing that. Uh, but, w- you know, it wasn't a crowd of over 30,000. This program should regularly be drawing 40,000 for games and and uh, you'd like to think 48,000 for big games and, and things like that. So there's a ways to go. 
but a lot of positive things to uh, to see on Saturday in terms of the turnout and certainly the job was done on the field. Now this one is obviously a major step up in competition this weekend when Florida State comes to town on Saturday. FSU going through a bit of a uh, change in the way they operate with Willie Taggart, who's a disciple of the Harbaugh family, but he runs more of the spread offense. He'd been at uh, South Florida. He was the guy that was going to get fired if Syracuse had won at South Florida that last time down. He turns that game around, turns their season around. The next season, they're great. He goes off to Oregon, 7-5 and five there in his one season last year, and now with Jimbo Fisher going to Texas A&M and opening, and he's been a, a Florida kid and looked up to the FSU program all along, so he was brought in to uh, be the new coach. So Willie Taggart, 2-0 and all-time against Syracuse. When we come back, we'll do the Do We Care and then chime in with uh, Tom Hart of ESPN, get some of his thoughts on what's happening in the early part of the college football season. He does games in the SECs at Texas A&M, who just gave Clemson all it wanted in a really exciting game this past Saturday night. Tom also has the uh, Jags and Patriots for uh, ESPN Radio, which you can hear right here this coming Sunday. We'll continue with that. As we roll along in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Don't care no more. Stevie Scott, a, a graduate of CBA, rushed for 204 yards on 31 carries for Indiana this weekend against Virginia. Do we care? Yeah, I care. Good for him. You know, uh, local guy done good. Uh, gone to Indiana. You know, my counterpart at Virginia texted me on the drive down here. Hey, did Syracuse recruit this guy? He would have looked nice and orange and and uh, you know, instead of beating up on Virginia is what he was is getting at. And he's had two really good games. Uh, good for him. I don't know how close it was uh, for Stevie Scott to come, come to Syracuse. My understanding he was offered a scholarship. He obviously went there for Mike Hart. Um, and God bless him. You know, I, I don't think Syracuse is uh, lacking for talent at the running back position right now to where you're dying to you know, trade him or or whatever. He made the decision that uh, works for him, and and um, had an awesome uh, game certainly on Saturday. And my understanding is the the uh, first game as well. So uh, more power to him. He had twenty. He had twenty carries for seventy yards in the first game. So he did. He, right. he has had two good weeks. He, he committed to Rutgers and decommitted and, and went to Indiana. So I'm not sure where Syracuse was in the mix there, but wasn't his second option, I guess you, you could say. Right. Uh, new quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings, Kirk Cousins. Has trademarked the line "You like that" after his his prior line of "You like that." Do we care? <laughs> Not really, but it's funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, uh, good for him. You know, I guess that's that's uh, kind of interesting that he goes to uh, to that length to do it. He's a really likable guy. He's very Midwestern. Aw shucks, uh, he got a lot of mileage out of "You like that" uh, with the Redskins, of course. In this day and age, these guys are already worth gazillions, and their their lawyers and agents don't miss opportunities like this. Uh, Vike is not a verb, uh, to my understanding, in any uh, context. So I'm not exactly You're sure how, for that, how they're going to work. They'll make you it work. You get cut. Or the fans will turn on you. You know, if Whatever. you like that or you get... They could do that either. I'm sure he thinks, well, they could do that either way, but at least I tr- I now own the trademark. The first guy that so. sacks him and plants him head first in the ground is going to ask him if you like that. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> he's like getting a, carted off the like field. Sounds like an ad, <laughs> ad for Vicodin. <laughs> The BMW uh, Championship uh, tournament in golf is currently into a playoff between Justin Rose and Keegan Bradley. 
at 20 under. Tiger Woods, by the way, only four shots, four shots behind at 16 under. Yeah, I don't know what happened. This got moved back because of weather to a Monday finish. I wish I had the time to sit and uh, and watch it. I, I love watching golf. Golf on a Monday, I could probably get used to if I was in the habit of having a TV where I was and like some people are and, and can watch uh, during the day. Keegan Bradley, has uh, his career has fallen off significantly. With, he's a belly putter guy that's uh, not allowed to do that anymore, but obviously has tremendous ability and can go low with the best of them. And Justin Rose is as steady as they come. I can't grasp the twenty under, like yeah. Well, the, so these, most of these courses, they these guys just tear up. And my understanding there, obviously, weather's been an issue. The course must have wet conditions, and when that's the case, they just throw darts at the greens and have four footers all day. Lewis so. Dever was uh, Patrick Reed twenty eight under par at the Humana Challenge. <laughs> yeah, and it's hard to compare one course to the next and one tournament to the next. But these are not majors, and they're yeah, they're going to go get it. Twenty yeah, twenty under over the course of. Uh, of four days, so it's you know yeah. five a day. Shoot, it's basically shooting sixty-seven four days in a row. Pretty good work. All right, good stuff there, Tommy. Thank you. We'll be back with another Tommy Tom Hart of uh, ESPN when we continue. Cam Lynch will be on the show tomorrow. The Bucks did win big in a high-scoring game against the Saints in New Orleans. Sean Payton, the New Orleans uh, coach, not happy with that. Adam Terry on the show Wednesday as we work our way toward the Orange and Florida State in the Dome Saturday with a noon start. We'll talk a little SEC and NFL when we continue In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. Back in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Good to have you along with us as we get set for Orange Football, the Cuse and Florida State in the Carrier Dome on Saturday. FSU lost big in its ACC opener week one game with a new coach and all of that against Virginia Tech. It was at home though and they got buried. It was not a competitive game. And then uh, toyed around with Samford until the fourth quarter on Saturday ended up edging them out. Just enough. So with Willie Taggart, they still have Cam Akers who's uh, been very effective so far. To Andre Francois, they come into uh, this game on Saturday. They, They still will have uh, the better athletes. I think what you're looking for is kind of Syracuse team and program on the uptick. If you're going to knock off Florida State, do you catch them on a day like this where they're on the road? Figures to be a little less comfortable, if you know what I mean, in the Carrier Dome this coming Saturday than it was this past Saturday. And we meant to talk about that. I hope nobody stayed home because of the reputation that the Dome is hot and uncomfortable at the first or second game of the year because it couldn't have been more pleasant uh, in and around the Dome on uh, Saturday. And you walk out and it's in the low 60s and uh, very comfortable fall-ish kind of evening. So all things considered, a good day to, uh, to be at the Dome and to see the Orange proceed through that, as expected, a blowout against Wagner, 62-10, the final. Last year's game against Florida State was competitive throughout. Eric Dungey playing a great deal of it uh, on a broken foot. At least it was found out to be afterwards a broken foot. And the Orange were very competitive in the game. Steve Ishmael and Irv Phillips combined for 250 yards receiving on that day and something like two dozen catches, but uh, not enough. And of course, they're not here come this year. That was a three-point loss a season ago in Tallahassee. The Orange get Florida State in the Dome on Saturday. We'll spend a couple of minutes with Tom Hart of uh, ESPN 
to uh, wrap the show. Tommy, good to uh, have you on. And uh, for you, I know a big thrill. You'll you'll be on ESPN Radio in Syracuse twice in a week. We'll, we'll talk about that Jags and Pats game that you'll carry on Sunday. That's, that's impressive stuff. Oh, it's going to be great. Yeah, I'm fired up. I can't believe the NFL is already here. I mean, I'm knee-deep in college, and now we get the pro guys to talk about too. That's right. You had the uh, Kentucky-Florida game. How is it that one program – can lose to another 31 times in a row in the same conference. So maybe you can put that into context, just how big a deal it was for Kentucky to win in Gainesville. It's shocking that that can happen, especially in this day and age. You think about the teams and the programs that have had long winning streaks against a regular opponent, and the longest was Notre Dame over Navy. And and that's understandable to an extent. That one was snapped, I think, in 04. Um you know, Notre Dame is Notre Dame. They have incredible advantages, and, and Navy isn't. So that that's easy to understand. Other programs like uh, Oklahoma had a long one against Kansas State. Nebraska had a long one against Kansas. Those were titans of college football. The Bud Wilkinson, Oklahoma teams, the Nebraska teams through the mid to late 90s, uh, whether it was Devaney before him or Tom Osborne then coaching uh, in the 80s and 90s. But Kentucky's had great players. I mean, they've got Randall Cobb and Andre Woodson and Tim Couch, who was the SEC Player of the Year, and Jared Lorenzen, who threw for a ton of yards. Coaches like Hal Mummy. But it had been since 1986 since they last, last beat them. And I think you get to a point in sports where it's just simply we expect to win the game. And I asked one of the Florida players about that on Friday. And he, he denied that it was Florida better than Kentucky. But his answer, I think, Volumes. He said, well, we're at Florida. It's not Kentucky. We expect to beat everybody. And that's, I think that's the mantra and the attitude from championship programs, even though, even though they ended up losing. Well, and you know, Florida, talk about these places that go through coaching changes and all that. Florida State comes into the Carrier Dome this week, and uh, Syracuse has had that in, in recent years. When you do have changes, you sputter a little bit, and uh, that might be happening there with former, we never talk about him around here, but uh, Dan Mullen, the former graduate assistant back in the days when Syracuse won three straight Big East championships in the 90s. Those teams, by the way, 96, 97, 98, will be honored at the Dome this coming weekend for that noon game against uh, FSU. We're visiting with Tom Hart from ESPN. We don't spend a ton of time here, Tommy, talking about the SEC, but I thought uh, we could use your expertise a little bit, help us uh, decipher what should we make out of the Clemson-Texas A&M game? I know you've uh, been to College Station a couple of times this season. That turns out to be a great game that A&M's going in for uh, a touchdown that could win it at the end. The, the most punitive rule in football uh, mm-hmm. gives, up the, you know, gives up the ball. Well, you know, it could have been goal to go at the one-yard line. and Instead, uh, it's Clemson ball going the other way at their own 20. They kneel on it at the end of the game. But uh, we think Clemson's the class of the the ACC by far, but maybe you can give us a read from what you see through your prism. Well, I don't think that should change, and, and I don't think we should take anything away from Clemson because they played a one-possession game on the road in front of 104,000 people screaming their heads off. That is as unique a place to play in college football. I'm not going to tell you that it's the toughest environment because there's a lot of tough places out there. Uh, but Jimbo Fisher was brought in for a reason. That was to deliver a championship. It was a, It's an unprecedented deal for him. Ten years guaranteed. I mean, he could be fired tomorrow, and he will still get every dime over the next 9.8 years of his contract. Um, 
that's saying something. It speaks to the money that Texas A&M has around their football program. They redid this stadium to the tune of $485 million just a few years ago. So it's the house that Johnny built, and they fill it, and they believe in football, and it's a religion down there, and they expect to win. So given all that, even though he took over for uh, Kevin Sumlin and what was a disappointing program, they were still every year an eight, seven and a half to eight win team. So it, there is talent there, and now there's uh, now there's energy and excitement. And, and I know Vegas always says home field is worth you know three points. I think when you go to a place like Texas A&M, you could, it's got to be worth at least a touchdown. Sure. I mean, you could add serious numbers to that. So for Clemson to be able to fight and scratch and claw and get a win, and the quarterback play in the second half was, was nearly perfect for Clemson. Um, so I think that's a great sign. And I think Clemson, listen, in college football this day and age, very few teams have to go on the road and win in major non-conference opponent stadiums. Um, very few teams even try that. Um, you know, think about Alabama. Most of their non-conference games against big opponents are the openers on neutral site fields in which they collect a check for $5 million or more. Um, Clemson going on the road and playing that game says a lot about who they are, what they want to do from a scheduling perspective. And I think from where you sit, it can only hurt, uh, pardon me, it can only help the ACC mm-hmm. um, because Clemson was willing to do that. And, of course, the win is what matters. Sure. We're visiting with Tom Hart of uh, ESPN. Tends to have the uh, evening game on SEC Network. In fact, you'll have uh, Texas A&M as they step down a class in competition this week against uh, Louisiana Monroe. Clemson has Georgia Southern, who they'll overmatch in uh, Death Valley. And let's spend the last minute or so here, Tom, on that NFL game that you'll have Sunday and fans can hear here. Giants don't play until the evening, so there's a uh, NFL doubleheader during the day on ESPN Radio Syracuse on Sunday. You'll have the Jags and Pats, and uh, Doug Marone picked up a big one at MetLife to uh, open the season Saturday, and then obviously he and uh, Coach Belichick are friends and uh, mutual admiration. That'll be a good one on Sunday. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun, and I think best game of the weekend in the NFL. Uh, Jack see Dante Fowler back. He had to serve a one-game suspension. Um, their defense is just going to get faster and better, which is scary good. Um, we'll wait and see if they're without Leonard Fournette or how healthy he is. He didn't play most of the second half due to a hamstring injury, but I think what the Jags showed, you know, they're the only team in the South uh, that won their their game opening weekend so far, is that they have a quarterback in Blake Bortles that knows his role. I mean, the offense erred on the side of caution. They didn't want to give the Giants opportunities or short fields, and they let the defense do the work. And, and outside the big Saquon Barkley run late in that game, that defense was, was excellent, and it's a lot of fun to watch Miles Jack play the game of football. I mean, if anybody saw him playing in college, because he was so versatile, you got a feeling that he might be somebody special. And now to see him put that together uh, with all the pros is a lot of fun to watch. All right, my friend, good stuff. We'll be uh, watching and listening uh, on the weekend, and we'll do it again, okay? Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You bet. Tom Hart of uh, ESPN. You can catch him on uh, Twitter. Good follow there, at Tom underscore Hart, H-A-R-T and uh, check out those games. Also the big uh, Monday Night Football doubleheader uh, here tonight as the uh, Jets and Lions play, and then the Raiders and Rams, two games of Monday Night Football tonight. We'll be back here tomorrow at 2. Cam Lynch, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're 1-0. He will join us on the show. For Paulie and Tommy, I'm Matt. Check out the podcast on iTunes. 
We'll see you tomorrow here in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse.